Good morning to LifeBridge Online. We're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, and this is our usually our Discovery Hour, in which we have classes for all ages and stages. But for now, during the pandemic, we are online and teaching you here on Facebook. And wherever you're watching, and whenever you do watch this, we want you to know that you are welcome. Welcome to learn with us. Our goal is to bridge the gap between biblical learning and radical living. And right now, as we ask every Sunday, this is a great time to like, like, and share. And by sharing, we're sharing the good news with uh, many people, and we don't actually know how far and how extensive it can go. And so I appreciate you doing that. If you want us to pray for you, or you need help in taking next steps, or you have a question about the lesson, then fill out the connection card that's right there in the comments. And remember, praise God, remember that we are beginning in-person services on June 14th. And we'll have two worship services, one at 9.30, one at 11. And uh, you have to register for these. And so in the comments, there's the link for you to register for which service you will attend. And we're doing that because we have to follow social distancing guidelines. And also, uh, we want you to attend the same service that you register for for the next four weeks beginning in June 14th. And uh, we're excited about this, but we need to pray. We need to prepare with prayer. And why is that? Because spiritual health calls for PPE, powerful prayer engagement. And so we want to pray for spiritual unity to stop the spread of disunity and stay united in Christ. Because there's all sorts of potential for division. I mean, our country our world is filled with strife and division right now. And we, as the body of Christ, need to be united more than ever. And we have every reason for that. And so let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Let's prepare our hearts. We know not everybody's ready to regather. Some have uh, health conditions that are going to prevent them from joining us immediately. We still want to be united. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and we are burdened, we are grieved, we are saddened by what is taking place in our country and even spreading around the world. Lord, we lament injustice wherever and whoever experiences it. We grieve for the unjust loss and taking of life. We readily and need to humbly confess that we don't always understand what our brothers and sisters and people who are different from us or live in a different culture from us are going through. And so, Lord, this moment, right now, this moment, for us as your people, for us as LifeBridge, is a time to reflect, to listen, Lord. First and foremost, to listen to you, to listen to others, to hear with a different ear, to hear where their hurt is. And Lord, to come alongside and to grieve with those who grieve. And Lord, to even confess and repent where perhaps prejudice is more rooted in our lives and in our hearts and in our words and our action than we even realize. And Father, as we are about to regather on June 14th, we would hate for anything to cause division and strife within our body. For how can we show the hope of the gospel if we ourselves are divided? And so, Lord, we ask for your spiritual protection. We ask that we would show grace and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We pray, Lord, that we would find our unity in you as our Father in the Son who shed His blood for us, in the Spirit that applied your salvation and made us one body in Christ. And Lord, out of that unity and out of our gathering, I pray that we will scatter and show the love of Jesus at a time when our country, our city, our neighborhoods, they need this. 
They need you shining through us. May we be a light that shows the love of Jesus to every person, regardless of skin color, regardless of politics, regardless of differences, that we would show them the way to the one who can heal every hurt and every wound. We are so thankful for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in our study of the gospel according to Jesus, we're looking at at truths and we're looking at the reality of God that truly deals with the issues that our country and our city even are going through. And we've been looking at Isaiah 55, that great invitation to soul-saving satisfaction. And as we've moved through this verse, or this chapter, we've seen an invitation to savor the feast. And it's too good to refuse. We've seen that it's sure to satisfy. And it's an invitation too sure to question. And we've been summoned and sent to summon the nations with this good news. And we've, there's an invitation last week to seek the Lord. An invitation that is too urgent to delay. And so today... We're in verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 55, and we're going to see an invitation to sow the word, an invitation that's too powerful to resist. Now, if you're like me, it's true in my life, and I'm sure it's true in yours, that invitations can have a powerful, powerful impact on our lives. I can still remember the day that I was first invited to attend this church and how it changed the course and the direction of my life as a 17-year-old kid. I can still remember the invitation to accept Christ by Pastor Tyrone on August 19, 1979. And here, 41 years later, my eternal destiny, but my daily living has been changed by the gospel. I can still remember the invitation by our church to candidate and come on staff. And here, 30 years in October, my whole life has been invested in the gospel ministry, all due to an invitation. And it's not just me. I'm sure it's you as well. We've all had invitations that powerfully impacted our lives. Maybe it was an invitation to become a friend or an invitation to be married. Let me tell you, I'm glad Gwen accepted my invitation to marry me. That was a glorious day, February 14th. It was a wonderful Valentine's. And an invitation maybe to come to church or to come to Christ. Maybe it was an invitation to join a small group or to be discipled one-on-one. Whatever it is, invitations have a powerful impact on our lives. And of course, the most powerful invitation of all is the one that comes from God himself. Just think about what we've seen in Isaiah 55, verse 1. It says, listen up, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him return to the Lord. Return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let me tell you, folks, that is an invitation that is simply too good to refuse. And this is what Isaiah chapter 55 is all about. The power of an invitation from God down to us. So this morning, I want to ask a very simple question from two verses that are here in this chapter. And here's the question. How does God fulfill his great invitation to soul-saving satisfaction? How does God fulfill this great invitation? The answer is this, by the power of his life-giving word. It is by the power of his life-giving word. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, 
Turn with me to Isaiah 55, and we're going to read verses 10 through 11. Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So what we have here is an amazing two verses that support everything that we have been studying in Isaiah 55. In fact, uh, one a scholar put it this way and said, like a booster rocket underneath the payload of the previous invitations, these verses, the power of God's word is what supports everything that God is inviting us to experience in this chapter. Look, Just look again at verses 10 and 11 in your Bible. Look at the powerful word pictures. Rain is falling, seeds are sprouting, crops are growing, harvest is reaping, bread is eating, and seed is sowing. There's action, there's life, there's growth. They're all meant to teach us that the power of God's invitation is in the life-giving, soul-satisfying, heart-transforming word that comes from God down to us. God uses His word, spoken and written, to fulfill His purposes in your life, but even in the entire creation and universe, which is the real focus of Isaiah, the coming new creation is going to take place because of the power of his word. How does God fulfill his promise? The great invitation, it's by the power of his spoken word. So this morning, I want to just point you to two things. The first thing is a very clear truth and a very Difficult question. The very clear truth is God's word is too powerful to resist. The very difficult question is, if God's word is too powerful to resist, then why does it seem that so many people resist it? Difficult question. Well, let's take a look. Let's begin with the very clear truth, and it's this. God's word is too powerful to resist. I just want to give you three reasons why that's true. First of all, God's word bridges the gap between him and us. God's word is bridges the gap between him and us. Notice again in verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, so will, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. Now, last week in verses 8 through 9, we saw that there's a vast separation and a huge gap between God and us. Look again at verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Why? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, the gap between us and God is incomprehensible, it is immeasurable, and it is unbridgeable by you and I or anyone else. Why is the gap between God and us far wider than we can imagine. Well, last week we saw that God's holiness is greater than we can imagine. And when we see His holiness, we realize our sinfulness is greater than we can imagine. But last week we saw God wants us to know His forgiveness is greater than we can imagine. And what verses 10 and 11 is telling us, and it's God who is speaking here, God speaking directly to us through Isaiah. God saying, I will bridge that vast, unbridgeable gap. I will bridge it. And the way I will bridge it 
is by my word being spoken and revealed, coming down from heaven and revealed to you. It's God's word that bridges the gap between our sinfulness and His holiness. It's God's word that bridges the gap between our hardness of heart and His tenderness of heart and willingness to forgive us. And the good news is this. We live in the new covenant era when Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Uh, In Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, here's what it says. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets, like Isaiah, at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things, appointed Him king over everything, just like we've learned in Isaiah verses 55, uh, verses 4 and 5. God has appointed Him, and through Him all of creation and all the universe has been made. And John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you drop down in John chapter 1 to verse 14, and it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the living Word of God became incarnate in the person and the work and the words of Jesus Christ. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Boy, our world needs grace right now. Our world needs truth right now. And we, as Christ followers, we know the living word. We possess the written word. And that's what bridges the gap between a God who is holy and a people who are sinful. Folks, you have in your hands, and I hope you have something in your hands. It's digital. Maybe it's printed. Maybe it has fancy leather or a cool cover on it. I don't know. But as long as it's based on an accurate, reliable translation of the original inspired autographs of the Word of God, you hold in your hands the very power of God. And help us. God Help us not to take for granted what we have. Many of us have numerous Bibles laying around and and probably a Bible practically in every room of our homes. Lord, let us see that it can bridge the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. And so when in Isaiah, when he says, seek the Lord for he is near, what he's saying is, look, When you seek the Lord, He is in His Word and He is near to hear. As near as raindrops falling on your head in an April shower. As near as snowflakes collecting on your coat sleeve. God is near to us through His Word. And and, and here's the deal. When we study His Word, we begin to see that His thoughts are not our thoughts. When we get into the Word, we begin to see that His ways are not our ways. But the more we spend and meditate and marinate in the Word of God, the power of the Word of God transforms our thoughts into His thoughts, our ways into His ways. And that brings us to the second reason why it's too powerful to resist. God's Word is the seed that brings forth life. In our hearts. That is so cool. Look at the word pictures that are there in verses 10 and 11. The rain and the snow, they come down from heaven and they don't return without doing what? Watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, furnishing seed to the sower, bread to the eater. It will not return to me empty. It will bring forth the life and the purposes that I have spoken it for. Now, in this, we don't have time to delve into it. That's why I gave you a chart. If you download the notes, you have this chart. There's five ways that the water from God, from the heavens, is like the word from God spoken from heaven. And you see 
that this isn't a class on biology. This is a class on bibliology. It tells us what the power of the Word of God is to bring forth life. Look at that. Water comes down from God, snow, rain, whatever. Water from the earth brings forth life, makes life spring up out of the ground. That that plant life gives seed and fruit, and in that fruit is seed. And it's out of that fruit that bread is made from the grain. And when you trace that through, you see that that is a reflection of the power of the Word of God. God's Word is life giving water to dry and thirsty souls. That's why he says in the first three verses, Come, drink wine, water, in abundance. God's Word is the seed that brings forth life out of hard hearts. It penetrates the soil. It's, it, God's Word makes eternal life to sprout up in our hearts when we unite the Word we hear with faith and repentance. God's word is the seed of life that we're to sow with abandon among the lost. And God's word is the bread of life that we're to feed on and delight in and be satisfied on a daily basis. You see, God bridges the gap with his word in order to save us, in order to satisfy us, and in order to send us out with the good news that's found in God's Word. And so, when you look at these two verses, 10 11, I just want to highlight three things that we are to be in relation to the Word of God. Let's, let's look at these quickly. First of all, we are to be hearers that listen carefully to God speaking to us through His Word. Three times in verses 2 and 3, Isaiah says, Listen. Listen carefully. Come to me and listen. We're to be listening carefully, inclining our ear to what's being taught right now so that we are not merely hearers, but doers of the word. Secondly, we see in these verses 10 and 11 that we're to be eaters that feed on the bread of life. We're to eat the word of God. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then we are to be sowers that share the life-giving seed. You see these things, hearers, eaters, and sowers of the seed with the lost. You see, in Isaiah 55, we've been invited to an all-you-can-eat buffet. And we're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. We're supposed to share the good news with others. We're to be sowers of the word, not hoarders of the word, keeping it selfishly for ourselves or apathetically ignoring the opportunities to speak forth good news into bad news situations. Listen, the Bible doesn't separate these three things, hearing, eating, and sowing. God's word is too powerful to resist in the life of a truly born-again believer. I wish we had time to, to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through chapter 2, verse 3. You can turn there if you would like. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 23, that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. There's that power to bring forth life out of death, light out of darkness, joy out of despair. And then he says, and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. But then in chapter 2, which is sort of a bad chapter division, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire, crave, long for. Any of you with a newborn know. A baby won't be satisfied till it gets its mama's milk. And as believers, we should never be satisfied on any day when we don't get our dad's 
milk from the word of God, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, grow up into your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's the idea. Hear, eat, and then sow and share with others. You see, folks, and I'm as guilty, I'm around the Word of God all the time. It's my vocation. It's my calling. We are all guilty at times of taking the Word of God for granted, of being apathetic, of saying, well, once a month, once a while. And, and, and God forbid that there's any of us who have been saved more than a couple years who have never read through the whole Bible. We need to feast and delight in God's Word. And that brings us then to the third reason why it's too powerful to resist. And it's this. God's Word is sovereign in fulfilling His purposes. God's Word is sovereign in fulfilling His purposes. That's really the point of verse 11. Look at verse 11. Just like rain and water come down and bear fruit and seed and set off this 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 chain reaction of life giving resources so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth it will not return to me empty or void without accomplishing what i desire won't always accomplish what you and i want but is guaranteed to accomplish what god wants and wills and has spoken and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. You see, the sovereign, life-giving power of the Word of God is what guarantees everything in chapter 55. It's what guarantees that Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, would come. God said it, it will happen. Isaiah 54, the blessings of the new covenant to transform radical reversals. For Israel as a nation, for the Gentiles who need to be reached, all of that, all of that is guaranteed by the sovereign power of God's Word. Think about this with me. Think about it. God's Word creates something out of nothing. You're like, Chris, I have nothing to bring to God that would be acceptable. Wonderful. He creates something out of nothing. God's word penetrates where no eye can see. You're like, I've done things. I have secret sins that I've never told anyone. It's okay. God already knows. Let him know about it. Tell him that you want to turn from those sins. And he will abundantly forgive you like we saw last week. It guarantees, God's word guarantees that, the, the, that it, it, it changes hearts like nothing else can. God's Word heals wounds that no surgeon can do. Listen, we're seeing bitterness. We're seeing anger. We're seeing hate. We're seeing division. We're seeing strife. And if we're honest, all those emotions have been a part or may still be a part of our heart and lives. And it's God's Word that can heal those wounds if you'll just open yourself and get into His Word. God's Word unites people like no political party, like no law, like no protest can. And please hear me. I'm not saying we don't need to vote. We need the political democratic process. I'm not saying we don't need new laws. We need fair and just laws. I'm not saying we never protest. After all, we're Protestants and Baptists. We have a heritage of that. But what I'm saying is, if we're not careful, we will begin to rely on the world's system, the world's politics, the world's fleshly thinking, and think that in them there is power to change hearts. It's the Word of God. And the place it needs to begin is your heart, my heart. And we need to let the Word of God search our hearts at this time in our country and make sure that we do not have prejudice and hate and injustice that is rooted in our 
worldview that is rooted in our perspective. We need to let God's Word root that out and humble ourselves before Him. You see, God's Word is sovereign in accomplishing what He has intended. When He speaks, it will happen. And let me tell you, that's why I have such a firm belief in the future for the nation of Israel. Because God is sovereign and keeps His promises. That's why I have such a firm belief in the hope of the gospel for every culture, tribe, language, and tongue. Because God has promised there would be around His throne people from all these tribes and cultures. Folks, we've got to learn to love like God loves the world. And so, listen to Isaiah 46.9. Listen to Isaiah 46.9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Listen, God knows the future. Isaiah is filled with predictions that happened a hundred years later after he predicted. Isaiah 53, nearly 500 years, 700 years after he predicted. Now, 2,000 years, we're still awaiting the second coming. But let me tell you, His counsel stands and His will will be done. You have His sovereign word on it. The word of God is sovereign because God is sovereign. And there is no one greater than our God and there is no one like our God. I hope you've seen that God's word is too powerful to resist. But maybe that difficult question is ringing in your ears, and it's this. If God's word is too powerful to resist, then why do so many people seem to resist it? Whoops, did you just hear that? Yeah, what you just heard was a can of worms. I just opened up a can of worms. But it's a question we don't have to shy away from. And so I can't go into this in depth, but I just want to give you five reasons why the word is too powerful to resist, yet it seems that many resist it. And here's the first reason, and it's this. God's purpose is to soften and to harden. Or let me say it straight up. God's purpose is to save and to judge. You see, God is not merely a God of salvation. He's also a God of judgment. And His Word is powerful to soften some hearts, and it will harden other hearts. It's like the sun shining on different patches of ground, and it can sometimes melt ice, or it can harden mud into clay. And yet it's the same rays of the sun. Listen, this is why the invitation in Isaiah 55 is too urgent to delay because if you put this off too long one day it will be too late and when it's too late there's only a God of judgment who will keep his word to judge those who reject his son and deny him and fail to forsake him and run to him in faith and So God's purpose is not simply to save, but it's also to judge. So let me show this to you in the Bible. Turn your Bibles to Revelation 9. Revelation 9, verses 14 through 18. uh, I'm sorry, Revelation. Romans, I'm sorry. Romans. Romans 9, 14 through 18. We don't have time to get into Revelation this morning. So Romans 9, 14 through 18. We probably don't have time to get in Romans either. Here's what it says. Verse 14, Romans 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. God is always just and fair. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 
For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then look at verse 18. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. In fact, this hardening of hearts was a part of Isaiah's calling. I know this is hard to understand and it's hard to hear. But listen, God's purposes is to not just save, it's also to judge. And in Isaiah 6.10, God, the Lord God, high and lifted up, calls Isaiah to be a prophet. But here's what he says. Nobody's going to listen to you. You're going to proclaim my word. You're going to sow it faithfully and no one's going to eat it. No one's going to hear it. No one's going to repent. Verse 10 says this. Here's what's going to happen. Render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. He's saying, look, you're going to proclaim the word and it's going to harden them. And you're like, well, that's that Old Testament judgment God. Do you realize this verse is repeated more times than nearly any other in Isaiah? It's repeated more times in the New Testament. It's repeated on the lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when Isaiah hears this, he cries out and he laments. And he says, how long, O Lord, will this hardening take place on your people Israel? And the Lord says, until my words of judgment are fulfilled. But once my words of judgment are fulfilled, then my words of salvation will be fulfilled as well. And one day, there will be a restoration of this nation. But in the meantime, your word is going to harden their hearts. So what am I saying? I'm simply saying this. Even those who choose to reject God's gracious invitation... And those that try to resist his will, his word will be too powerful to resist in the end. And in the end, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You can do that now and be saved. Or you can do it as an act of judgment when it's too late. Now you might be saying right now, Chris, that's just still, it's hard for me to swallow. And it's hard to me to, I'm just thinking this isn't fair, this isn't just. But here's the second reason. You've got to remember verses 8 and 9. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. And back in Romans 9, 9 through 11, uh, Paul really digs into these ideas of God's sovereignty and salvation and judgment. And he comes to the last part of Romans 11. And after explaining it for three chapters, here's what he says in Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Listen, you're not going to figure him out. How unfathomable his ways. You're not always going to get it. For who has known the mind of the Lord? We are not divine mind readers. Or who became his counselor? We try to give God advice. Often our prayer is nothing but counseling God on how to better run the world. But the reality is this. We can't counsel him. And then he says in verse 35, Or who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? In other words, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us an explanation. He doesn't owe an understanding and a working that fits in our tight, neat compartments. You see, God can color outside of the lines because he created the coloring book. And here's the reality. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Listen, God's ways are higher than our ways. Right now, more than ever, a global pandemic, 
a nation with cities set on fire. It looks like this world is out of control. And folks, I'm telling you, God's purposes are being accomplished. And here's what I want to ask you to do. And here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Lord, teach me what you are doing in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of the hurt and the hate and the injustice. What is it that you want me to learn? And we need to humble ourselves and we need to listen to God and others who are outside of our realm of experience. We need to lament and listen to them and lament. And then we need to learn to love better. That's what God is doing. We don't have to figure out why and how and what he's doing. We just need to do what is clearly revealed in his word. And so just remember, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And even though it may seem God's word is powerless, Maybe you've been witnessing to someone for decades. Maybe you've been praying for a situation for years. Maybe you look at the news and you say, God, are you on your throne? Listen, not an I will be left undotted. Not a T will fail to be crossed of every word that God has spoken. And so that brings me to the third reason why it seems that many resist his power, and it's because of this. God's sovereign purposes still require effort. You see, God is sovereign, but ultimately he calls you and I to do the sowing and do the eating. And so when we offer God's word, we can't eat it for others. They have to eat it daily in their own life. When we sow the word of God, we're not responsible for the response, but we need to sow with abandon. And so even though God's word is sovereign, God still uses weak, uh, weak and even sometimes sinful people like you and I for his purposes. And though God gives the rain and causes the snow to fall from heaven, guess what? The sower's got to sow it. And the eater's got to eat the bread for himself. God has done that. Now, the great illustration of this, to know whether you understand this or not, is a a Turner Classic movie. I love TCM movies. Amber and I, we are passionate about old movies. And Jimmy Stewart is in a great old movie called Shenandoah. And And in this movie, he's sitting at the table and he says grace. And I love how he says this because I think we've all kind of felt this way. Here's what he says, his character, Charlie Anderson. He says, Lord, I can't do a Jimmy Stewart, but Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it. If we hadn't done it all ourselves, we worked dog-boned hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food that we're about to eat. Amen. Well, he may have given thanks, but he didn't understand Thanksgiving. He didn't understand. And listen, the reality is, He missed that it's about what God provides the sower and how he provides for the one who is eating. When we say grace at our house, I realize that working here at the church, I get a paycheck that paid for all of it. I realize that Gwen is a substitute teacher and her income helps pay for all that. She prepares a great meal and all of it, all of it is hard work. But the reality is this. God gives us the strength to do that work. He makes that job possible. He even gives us the ability to eat. Hey, I'm breathing right now because that's a gift from him. And hopefully you're breathing too. And that's a gift from him. And so the reality is this, that as we look at, God's word is powerful and it will accomplish, but he does use people. It takes effort. 
You've got to get into the Word. You've got to open your mouth and share it with others. And that brings me to a fourth reason why uh, it seems the Word is resisted, and it's this. God's saving power still requires a response. God's saving power still requires a response, and that response is seen in the soil of a responsive heart. Jesus gave this wonderful parable of the sower, but it's actually a parable about four soils. It's found in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. And the sower sows the seed with abandon. But it falls on four different types of ground. And that ground represents the responsiveness of the heart of the hearer. And in Luke 8.15, Jesus tells us what the responsive heart is like. Here's what Jesus says. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast. In an honest and good heart and Bear fruit with patience, perseverance. You know, here in Isaiah, we are invited over and overcome five times, buy two times, eat two times, listen three times, delight yourselves. And then last week we saw seek, call, forsake, return. That's why chapter 55 is called the Great Invitation. Because listen, God's saving purpose, no matter how sovereign they may be, still call for a response. And so we need to respond. Finally, the last reason is God's sovereign plan still takes time. God's sovereign plan still takes time. And basically the idea here is be patient. Remain steadfast. God's purposes, as revealed in His Word, will be fulfilled. And in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8 and verse 10, here's what James says. Be patient, therefore, brothers. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the latter rains. You see, God's fulfillment comes early, but some of it comes later, and you've got to wait for it. You also be patient. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Listen, beloved, take Isaiah as an example. A man who was called for decades to preach God's word to a hard-hearted nation. And yet every one of his promises have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, or will be fulfilled. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Those who remain steadfast. Listen, Isaiah was given a calling to people with ears who couldn't hear. Eyes that couldn't see. Hearts that were hard and refused to repent. And yet he was a faithful eater of the Word of God. He was a faithful sower of the Word of God. You and I, in these difficult times, can be the same type of person. Isaiah drank deeply, he ate heartily, and he shared freely. You know, God even called him to walk naked for three years to picture the exile that was coming. Now, God's not calling you to do that. Don't do that. But Isaiah was that faithful, and he did that. Listen, here's an invitation too powerful, too powerful to resist. I want to invite you. God is inviting you. Receive the word. Listen, trust in Jesus, the word of God, the living word as your Savior and your Lord. I want to ask you to be an eater of the Word of God. Begin to delight in this book. Has this quarantine, have you you been on a starvation diet? Have you forsaken the Word during this time? Listen, repent of that this morning 
and delight yourself in the bread of life. And then finally, be a sower of the seed of life. Listen, now's the time to be sharing Jesus, not just with our lips, but with our lives. Now's the time to be a bold witness because we have a God that can unite and will unite the nations of the earth as they come in humble repentance to the appointed, exalted Son of David. If you make that decision today, I want you to fill out the, the, the communication card, fill out the connection card that's in the comments. Let us know how we can pray for you. And I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray. Father, what a gracious, life-giving God you are. You didn't have to reveal yourself. You could have stayed seated on your throne. But you have spoken your word. You have bridged the gap. You have sent your son as the living God to become one of us. To live a sinless life. To die as our sacrificial lamb. And to rise as our risen, railing, reigning, and ruling, and returning king. Father, I pray for each person listening right now. That, Lord, we would humble ourselves, come to your word, and let your life-giving word change our heart, change our attitude, change our way of life, change our family, and be a change agent in our community, in our city, and glorify yourself, Lord. Glorify yourself. May we be a magnet of attraction to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. See you here next week. We're going to wrap up this series on Isaiah next week, 930. See you here.